I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. I am so excited to have you today because we're going to talk about happiness things and you are like a happiness expert. So this is just super exciting. I love talking to people in this genre. Could you share with the listeners a little bit about how you got into the wonderful world of being a happiness advocate? Well, thank you first for having me on your podcast. So I'm super excited to be here. Um, it's been, I've been doing happiness stuff 20 plus years because I founded the Society of Happy People in 1998. So I've been, <laughs> been in the, you know, feel better, raise your vibe, get happier um, place, place for a long time. Basically. Since during- before it was a thing, since, since when people didn't even realize it was an option. <laughs> well, or or we, we, we kind of were in the middle of moving away from this period of time where everything was always supposed to be all right. It didn't matter if your husband was beating you, you know, domestic violence was in the closet. Um, you know, a lot of the social ills in the 50s, 60s and 70s were kind of kept, you know, in the closet. We just didn't discuss mental health. If you were depressed, we we didn't want to acknowledge it. And then we moved over to this other place, I think, in our our journey in which it was what I kind of call it, I think of it as the era of woundology. Carolyn Mace uh, coined that term where people were bonding on their wounds. So that was going on in the 90s. So self-help TV, self-help radio, self-infomercials, they were, they were very much targeted about sort of healing your inner child and your, your inner wounds. Well, at the same time the society started, uh, Martin uh, Singelman's uh, positive psychology research started coming out. And that's really what changed our conversation culturally around happiness. So the society has always been, um, we've never told somebody like pretend to be happy if you're not, because I think that's the quickest way to staying unhappy. But we've always been more in, in the mindset of, are you noticing all your happy moments? Like, are you taking them for granted? And not even recognizing they're there, or do you actually notice what's what's going on around you, and do you value that as much as you value your annoying moments? You know, uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast is that happiness is a constant reset. So it, it's not something that we, and I say this often, it's not something we get and put in our purse and carry around with us, and it's just there then. Um, it, you know, there's always something or someone trying to threaten it. And I think that we all got challenged at some level in the past two years to really redefine uh, what brought us happiness. I think on some level, we were all kind of going through the motions, um, things that we found to bring us joy, like happy hour with our friends or whatever it might be, were suddenly not available. And we all on some fundamental level had to really kind of rethink what is happiness? And um, I know for myself, I'm finding much 
more uh, peaceful moments of happiness in very simple things such as noticing the way the clouds are moving on a certain day or, you know, noticing the force of Mother Nature with the wind or whatever it might be. I mean, I think we've been really having to tap into a stronger sense of intrinsic happiness than ever before. What do you think about that? I was going to say, you just actually kind of touched on at least three, and I could actually make the fourth work as well, of um, the, the practical happiness, the four principles to improve your life, my, um, the title of the book that's coming out January 4th. Um, basically, so when the people are trying to take away your happiness or events, we call those happiness zappers. Yeah. So they're, they're zappers <laughs> and there is legitimate unhappiness, and that usually involves a big life change, but but we do have those, but we, we like to say um, happiness zappers are manageable. And, and they are, if you acknowledge them, then you can manage them. If you ignore them, they sort of manage you. Um, but basically, when you're talking about your reset, happiness changes as you change. And the pandemic changed us. It changed our culture. It changed the, changed the globe. So that has. And, and, and it changed the way we, we do fundamental things in life. I mean, it changed the way we go to the grocery store. (laughs) It changed literally everything. I mean, it's just really astounding when you think about the impact of uh, uh, on the human psyche. And I really like what you talk about with the zappers, because, you know, short of like you're talking about kind of like major grief and loss. I think the majority of things that painstake us are things we're not going to remember five years from now at all. Um, Well, you know, I'm not going to remember the the jerk that was driving super slow and annoying in front of me, you know, in five years. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to remember that moment. You're probably not going to remember it next week. And that's actually one of our zapper management tools for annoyances that we I say to people, you know, if you're not going to remember it a year from now, just let it go. Now. It's, it's really not a it's an annoyance. And we're going to have those every day. Nobody can create a life where you have no annoyances, no chaos. No fear, no no stress. Those are for the happiness zappers. The fifth one is um, actual unhappiness. That's for the most part about a change, which means, like you said, grieving a loss. It, and it may not necessarily be like as in death. That's the ultimate, a death of a person or a pet loved. But it could be a career change. You could have gone through a displacement or you could have a, you know, rifts going on in a family or friendship dynamic or it could be a health situation where you're having to change how you live your everyday life to be healthier to get because of a health challenge. So there's a lot of things we have losses on um, that we have to, you know, work through and even changes in our life. I was talking to a mom's group in August for Happiness Happens Month and, and, you know, this this new mom was, you know, super happy about her baby, but she was talking about some of her changes. And, and I was easily able to go, well, you know, basically you're sort of mourning your your single life. And that's okay, because I know a lot of first-time moms that they think the baby's going to be like a purse. And they can just strap it on and continue their normal routine. And that's, for the most part, I've never seen anybody successfully do that. You know, what's so, funny is I, I pathetically had that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to gloat, but I had the easiest baby in the world. Like I really just had this little cream puff and people would comment on the fact that literally it was like an arm, you know what I mean? Like he was just an extension and 
I, I had this really fortunate experience of just taking him literally everywhere with me to, you know, hundred miles offshore in the Alaskan ocean and all these different places and things. And, um, and I, I still, even with that had my moments of like, okay, you're going in your crib because that is the safest place for you. And I am going to come over here. <laughs> you know? wow. like, even having that experience, I still had those moments of like pure obliteration. <laughs> but you probably didn't, even in those moments, you probably, and again, it depends on where you are in your life when, when the new tyke arrives. But when you, you probably weren't, if your life prior to having your child was, hey, I'm at happy hour and I'm still at the bar at 11, you probably, even if you had your child with you, once they reach a certain age of at least six months or so, they're probably not going to go to sleep in their little bouncy thing at, at a loud Oh, clock. right, right, you right. Know? Yes, of course. Oh, so yes, in that sense, things change that I could not do anymore that I used to do. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. I see what you're saying. Your girlfriends or, you know, letting yourself, you know, if you, if you drink too much or, you know, if that was part of your like, Oh, Friday night, I sometimes drink until I fall asleep. You, you can't quite do that because you're going to no. be listening for your type. To, yep. To, yep. To, so it does change your routine. Even Absolutely. When you have an easy, easy child. Yes. If you have a difficult one, it, it changes it more, but morning that's normal because you just went into happiness changes as you change because you also got new happiness. You got new happiness of that joy that only, you know, that mothers understand. And you got, you got that kind of, uh, you, but, but that transition process, it doesn't, that transition process is, can still have a grief loss element to it, which can take a little time to work through. It's not always as easy as, oh, just choose to be happy. Like if you were up all night, oh no, baby, you're like, yeah, I'd be happy right. if I got like some sleep, like like two hours together would make me, would make me happiest because I, absolutely I'm really tired. I mean, like you said, that's, that's one of those, 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 those changes. And, and again, it impacts everybody different because like I said, I, I know a lot of people who just think it won't impact at all. And it's, it's going to impact you some way. Um, the question is how, but, but, it, but it will. It, I feel it, like it, I definitely had that experience of like, oh boy, the ease of life that I had is now no longer here. I, yeah, definitely, definitely have that experience for sure. Well, and I happen to, to not, not have children, but I get, for some reason, I get picked a lot to be a first babysitter. So I'm thinking I must have had kids <laughs> have people to trust me. Yeah. But I remember sometimes when I've had my friends, my friends, first children for, for extended periods of hours. I, re I remember one in particular, I was like, Oh, they were gone to a funeral for the day. And I was like, Oh, I, I think I'm going to take him to get our picture made with Santa. I think that would be fun. And, you know, I'm getting him in the car and taking all his stuff and then getting him in the strollers, take him in the mall. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my stars. How does, how does somebody do that? And this was several years ago. He's actually an adult now, but, it was, but I just remember, I, I was like, wow, how do you go to the grocery store with <laughs> just, like I said, his supplies alone were, were, um, a lot. I was like, he, right. His purse is bigger than mine, um, <laughs> of necessities for them all. And I'm like, and we were just taking a short trip. And, and, and so there is, there is a transition. Uh, just like if you get a new puppy, you know, when you bring your new puppy home, there's a transition. You have to puppy proof or they're going to eat your shoes or, 
or, or, or whatever it is. So anytime you add, add something, there, there is that transition period. But then on back to the original question on your final piece about finding more peace and noticing the clouds and things like that, that's part of our fourth principle, which is happiness is bigger than you think. And that's based on 31 types of happiness that we identified. And peaceful is one of those. And, you know, it's funny. I, I never attributed, I, I always saw them as separate experiences and separate emotions. And now I really feel like they go hand in hand. You know, I really feel like um, moments of peace can bring pure happiness and um, moments that are full of happiness are typically very peaceful, like that they're oh. they're kind of they kind of coexist, you know. Yeah, if you're in a, unless you're like in a happy moment of excitement, like you're on a roller coaster. I don't know if that would be the same type of peace that you're well, talking like about. That's like more exhilarating, right? Like that's, yeah. there's some level of fear involved in that. Well, fun and excitement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We include in our list things like, you know, relief, because going back to the example of the child, if you had a crying child for the day because they didn't feel well or they're teething or whatever's going on, you know, if you actually get them to settle down for a couple of hours and you're, you know, that's a time of relief. You're like, okay, because you know they're not hurting because there's nothing more painful for, for a parent than their child hurting. And so, you know, that relief that you feel is, is is a type of happiness, content. A lot of people want to underrate that, in my opinion. Um, if you wake up every day and you're like, I really wouldn't change much about my life, that type of contentment and, and, and being content, that's that's really wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, you probably don't want your recently graduated uh, child to be happy playing video games in your basement if they're like 22. You're wanting them to be <laughs> a little motivated. Another yep. happiness to, you know, hopefully pursue a career unless they're a video game developer. But it's it's there's like you said, there's a lot of different, you know, types of types of happiness. There's the obvious ones that we all we all can we all gravitate to um, and we all recognize those really quickly. But then there's the, you know, I kind of call it an outer band of them that that's super exciting. I In relief, another place I put it in relief is. You know, nobody wakes up going, hey, I want to go clean out my garage. That's going to be so fun. You know, you're usually rolling your eyes. You procrastinate doing it. It becomes an ordeal. But finally, once you've done it, you're relieved it's done. You're satisfied that you got something done. You probably donated stuff. So you got to um, participate in giving another type of happiness. So you have a lot of types of happiness that are attached to one one project that you possibly didn't perceive as, oh, this is actually a happy event. Um, okay. So I really want to switch gears for a minute because I feel like this is super important. I think that, uh, there's been so much, this podcast just being another one on the top of the happiness realm of the world. You know what I mean? You talked about how the self-help kind of industry blossomed, Carolyn Miss, Brene Brown, all of these incredible, Elizabeth Gilbert, all these incredible you know, uh, um, empowering females and motivational speakers, you know, we could just go on and on and on. But how can people accept that sometimes things suck? 
Like, how can people really tap into the idea that, you know, it is okay not to be happy all of the time. And, and I, and I ask this because, you know, I even experienced this a lot with a podcast like this and having, you know, done television interviews and various different things and books and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, there's this certain level that I feel of people that are kind of like, Oh, she's happy all the time. That's not the reality at all, you know? Um, but how can people kind of tap into some grit and some resiliency and some acceptance that some things are just not happy? Well, I think that's the, you, you just nailed it on the head. That's why we say happiness zappers are manageable. So even if it's a happiness zapper, that's, you know, let's just take the ultimate. I had a dog, my dog passed away two and a half years ago, and I'm still grieving my little type not being here anymore. Um, that's, I have day, you know, I'm kind of now, at least when I see pictures of him, I smile instead of cry, but that's taken two and a half years. That didn't just happen because I wanted it to happen. It just, I, I had to go through that, that grieving process. And a lot of times we don't like to own that. Sometimes we just are going to feel bad. We, we talk about um, happiness zappers and creating what I call a zap map, which is a zapper management action plan to, you know, to own it. Because if we don't own it, we, we spend a lot of time. And even though if you went to my society store, you're going to see some merchandise that says I choose happiness. But one of the ways we choose happiness is by managing what makes us unhappy so it's not managing us. If we don't, too, too often people don't want to acknowledge so-and-so said something and it hurt my feelings. Now, that doesn't mean we, we may or may not need to go have a conversation with them about it because maybe that's just their DNA and they're going to do that. So then we have to decide at which rung of our life we want them to be in. There's, you know, our close type friends and family circle. And then we have some exterior circles of people we know. Um, so you have a choice about where you place somebody if you think somebody doesn't have your best interests at heart. And so that's owning that zapper. You know, how much time do I spend with this kind of person, whether they're intentionally or unintentionally maybe abusive to us? We have to figure out what things we can control and what things we can't control. And a lot of things are what I call a bit of both. But you have to identify those pieces. And then we do have the five types of zappers. And so I encourage people to identify where it belongs, because if it's real unhappiness, let's say you just got a divorce and, you know, most people who got married weren't thinking, oh, I'm getting a divorce. So there has to be a grieving process that goes goes with that to, you know, get to where you're excited about your your new new life. But if you own it as unhappiness, you know that that process is going to take a longer amount of time than deciding not to be mad at the person who was a jerk on the highway. So, so as you're talking, I'm kind of reflecting just on my own journey and my own experiences and my own life. And, and I'm really thinking about how some people go through life uh, thinking that the things that they're doing and the things that they have are bringing them happiness. And then they wake up one day and they're like, wow, I've been living a lot. I, I've, <laughs> I've not been living my truth, right? Like I've, I've been doing all these things and I thought, but, but I was wrong or I was misguided. How do you encourage people who have these kind of ma like major self-help realizations 
that all the self-help and all the things they were doing wasn't aligning with their true life purpose or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you encourage people that kind of hit this spot of like, holy moly, like, it's not just one thing. It's not just a job change. It's like the entire way that I viewed the world. Well, I think that really follows to our third principle of happiness changes as you change. I think a piece of that is normal. So maybe there was a window that that did bring you happiness for a certain window. And, and maybe that happiness was authentic. But we also changed. So what made us happy when we were 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 might not make us happy at 50. It, because it changes right. because we change and our life changes and our perce perception changes. And maybe even our purpose changes. Maybe we go, oh, I don't want to be the the uh the deal maker you know where where my money money is my measuring stick for my happiness because i'm sort of realizing it's not what makes me happy now maybe it's a means to an end or maybe you still need xyz job to support your family so you want to be responsible but if you still own that for what it once you own it for what it is then you can start working with it so maybe it is a, a bigger change to go do more about your purpose but so maybe it is a career type change or maybe it's adding volunteer work or maybe it's like you said finding peace and looking at clouds and sometimes saying wow that is just you know for me personally when i see mother nature sometimes i i'm just in awe about all of the many miracles if you will that that happen when the leaves change and fall and when they grow back and bloom and when you see clouds and in all honesty, I even find storms. I, I don't want to be living in a hurricane, but I still also find the mother nature element of them is, is you're just like, you're just, it's somewhat, um, it's, wow. it's, it's inspired. Yeah, it's awestruck. Yeah. You're, you're just like, yeah, yeah you're, it makes you realize that you're one part of a cog of something so much bigger than you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I totally, that change, that change is normal. And I think one of our, 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 or something that I talk about that I think in our just general therapeutic community that it doesn't get an one-on-one -on -one therapist. I, I've heard them talk about it, but it doesn't get enough big sound bites, I guess, for lack of a better word is that guess what? Your stuff is going to change and it should change. You know, you, a lot of times people are, especially in politics, people pull out like, well, in their dissertation when they were 23 and you're like, they're 54 now. Who, who knows? Right. What, we have no idea what they think because we don't know what they experienced in those 30 years that may or may not have changed them. And we, for some reason, have I'm somewhat concerned for the generation that's completely in this digital age that. Um, because I even see, I was hanging with one of my friends uh, in the last couple of years, and she had babies. But I, I noticed from the time they were about six months old, they would see the camera and pose. And I'm like, you're six months old. <laughs> you're like, I even so, see pets posing now. I even see pets know when the owner has the camera out. And so we're, we're moving to this place where we're just so recording things to the point that, what happens when they do change when they're 30? Like when they get a new perspective, um, when they maybe did something at 18 that, you know, they wouldn't repeat again. Um, I know I I wouldn't want somebody pulling up my whole life and saying, oh, well, you know, when you were 18, you said blah, blah, blah. Um, 
you're like, yeah, because I was 18. (laughs) You know, I, I'm really glad you brought this up because the next question on my list was actually social media and the impacts that it has on happiness. And I, I mean, I just feel like, uh, you know, it has as a happiness zapper, as you would call it, it's got to be in like the top number two, like one or two on happiness zappers. I mean, whether it's, whether it's logging in to see that you've not received the likes or love that you anticipated to receive, um, or whether it's logging in to see a comment from someone, a reply on a thread that you were on that's negative or demeaning, um, or whether it's even logging in to see your friend had your baby, had a baby and you're not able to have children, you know, like no matter what, like, I feel like on a happiness zapper standpoint, social media has got to be like one of the highest. What are your thoughts on that? Well, okay. So when the society started and how we got our first little, little glitch of international fame is Ann Landers wrote in her happy holiday column in the newspaper, which people don't get at their door as much anymore. I wrote in her column, she told people not to send happy holiday newsletters and their holiday greeting cards because you shouldn't share your happiness and, and make other people feel bad. That was the essence of this. And at the time, I actually ended up, it's funny you use the baby example. I actually ended up with this one woman just calling me and screaming at me that, you know, she couldn't have kids and she didn't want to read about people's kids and their happy holiday newsletters and blah, blah, blah. And and now the society also never told people like, well, just because somebody sends you a letter, you don't have to read it. You can throw it away. But basically the newsletter was this form of competitive happiness of keeping up with the Joneses. And basically what we've done is we've taken our annual holiday. Yay. This is what happened to me. A uh, letter that we would send to our family and friends. And we've actually now made it where it's a daily event on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever your social media avenue is. Of, hey, this is what's what's going on, whether it's good or bad news. And I think we still have to remember that when we manage social, when we manage our happiness zappers, this competitive happiness that we have on on social media, we have a choice about how we let that impact us. or 14 year old teenager or maybe up through high school I think the impact is is possibly different because your brain is still forming and you're learning to make decisions but I I actually had a friend who was 40 something who said I had to get rid of my Facebook account because if I didn't get enough likes I got upset I would hope at 40 something you could learn to make a decision not to do that but if you have to go that far to not be upset then you don't need to be on Facebook I mean if you don't understand that the number of people who see your post isn't even based on the number of people who might want to see your post. It's based on that social media site's algorithm of the day. That impacts your likes. That impacts your comments. I put up posts all the time that get one like or no comments. And for me, I debate, should I take it down or leave it up? Not because I care about the likes or comments, but because I don't want it impacting the It affects the algorithm, right. The algorithm of my feed. Like, I'm like, hmm because I know the more popular posts posts do that. 
but that's because I use Facebook for business. You know, I use that as one of my communication tools. But so I get it. So I don't take it personal. You know, I, I don't. I, in fact, I was looking at a major social media influencer that I was friends with, and I noticed a post she did, and it was actually about um, her father who had passed away, I guess, a couple of years ago. And it hardly had any likes and very few comments, and it was two days old. And I saw that today. Because yeah, I, it was outside of her realm of what she's normally posting and whatever. Well, I just guarantee you Facebook is doing some kind of algorithm change because normally that is a post if just even some oh, normally she would get, yeah, would have hundreds of likes and comments because it was just personal. It was like a, such a personal post. Um, so I know when I saw that, I'm like, okay, so Facebook's up to something this week, you know, and so if right. you post something, don't get upset if you don't get any any feedback on it. But we have to learn. Well, and, you know, as a business account, I've I've even seen, I mean, granted, everybody on this podcast knows I'm back off social media. I, I like I'm like a I'm back and forth on that deal. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing about like the posts is and I've shared this with people that follow my stories and whatnot, is that I've actually screenshotted the business insights. Where it's like, okay, this got, let's say, 193 likes, but the the people that saw it came, coming from hashtags and all different things, you know, it was 2,700 people or something like that. So it's like, don't allow yourself to be fooled by the heart game because a lot of people won't even, they won't attach to something because they're afraid of who else might judge them. You know, well, well, there's like, yeah, there's tons of like what you call um, I'm in a LinkedIn program and a lot of people end up getting their clients from people who've never liked or commented on a post. And that group calls them the LinkedIn stalkers. Like you don't know who's who's watching you. So you just want to put out good, good content. But again, if it if it impacts you in an adverse way, then manage it by not being on it or by limiting. Like I go on it. I have a friend. She only goes on it three times a week because she's like, I don't have time for that. I'm busy living. (laughs) I have other things to do. She'll go check her stuff like three times a week. That's it. Uh, We all have to figure out what that management action plan is for us. That 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 math, as I call it. But just totally remember whatever philosophy you want to take. Your likes and comments is really so not personal. It's just so much bigger than where you, where you are now. I remember Facebook during the time when I had like 500 followers on a business page and you get 300 people who, who liked it um, because Facebook was putting it in so many feeds, uh, which was many years ago. And I think you're younger than I am. So I don't know if you were even on Facebook at that time, but um, uh, you know, what's funny is I was, so I was in the marketing world. So I was actually on Facebook before Facebook was a thing back when <laughs> um, my space was still had the market, like Facebook wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> um, so I was like one of the OG Facebookers. <laughs> I barely had a MySpace page. Um, and I remember my first web person, they said, so what's your Facebook page? And I did, we, they didn't even have like groups and businesses and that stuff. I'm like, I don't have one. I don't want one. And the web guy used to be like, you have to have it. And I'm like, do I, do I really? But I also remembered at the time that I didn't even want a website when I started the society. And, um, one of my neighbors is like, you have to have a website. And I'm like, do I, do I really, I don't, I don't think I need that. And, you know, now I'm super grateful I listened and, and, and did that. And I've made so many, so many people talk about all their negative feeds. 
in Facebook. And I'm just like, my feed's always pretty positive. And I don't know if it's because I'm connected with so many people who gravitate towards positivity or if I just ignore the negative stuff because I just don't care. And I'm like, you know, whatever. They think what, you know, they think the world is flat. Okay, they can think that. Um, or, you know, if I've advanced, advanced to that place of, you know, your happiness changes as you change, like I don't have a need to be right on stuff. So it's just, but my feed's pretty positive and um, I don't look at it that much. I have to definitely not go down rabbit holes on it because if not, I, I am not doing my, my real jobs. But, you know, again, you have to manage it so it doesn't manage you and everybody's plan's going to be a little different. And it can even be different based on the day. You know, if you're in like a super sensitive space, you know, maybe you've got to fight with your best friend or your mother or something and you're kind of just feeling a little vulnerable, you know, don't go on Facebook. <laughs> Stay off of it. Or is no kidding. Just don't. If you're in a vault, you know, or if your boss is being not nice to you, you know, don't go to places that are that make you feel vulnerable. And if that's an outlet that does any social media site, if that makes you feel that way then just, you know, stay, stay away from it. Go find your, you know, binge watch on one of the streaming services. Or like for me, I, I am so excited because I'm a night owl and I'm so excited that Hallmark movies, Christmas movies are on like from midnight on. So like at one or two in the morning, <laughs> if I'm like trying to just be like, I like to go to bed thinking positive things. And I get that, you know, somebody's like, don't you realize how fake that is? And I'm like, yes, but I like stories that have a happy ending especially before I go to sleep. You don't have to like that. If you want to go watch <laughs> Asher or whatever. If that yeah. No. Go do you know, my, hu- my husband used to love to watch the uh, forensic files. And I'm like, I, I can't, I cannot, I cannot because then I think the landscaper is going to come murder me while I sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always the freaking landscaper, but, um, no, and I just choose in general not to input these things into my mind. I've always been that kind of person because I'm very, you know, empathetic and empathic and just all of that. So it's too much for me. But one of the things that I just really like that you're touching on is um, whoever's listening, like we've gotten into this world where we're so sensitive and so triggered and so this and so that. But the bottom line is like you need to advocate for yourself. And if that means not watching a show before bed because it brings you great anxiety and you continue to have like an epic dream that you could write a sci-fi novel about the next morning. Don't do it. Like stand up and speak for yourself and say, this doesn't bring me happiness or the way you're acting right now is not something that I enjoy and, and advocate for yourself. And I think that's where we've gotten to this spot in, you know, as a society where we're so sensitive to like, Oh, I can't speak up for myself because then I'm hurting someone else's feelings, you know? And it's like, no, take a stand and say, I love you, but I'm not going to hang out with you right now. <laughs> this is no, it, for me. Exactly. And that's the first principle, actually. Happiness is personal and you have to own what that is. And if, like you said, you go to bed, you know, if you're watching forensic, whatever, and you go to bed thinking somebody's going to come autopsy you in the bed, well, you know, whoever you're with hopefully doesn't want you going to bed dreaming about that. So if they need to see that before they go to sleep, maybe they need to do it in a different room or, or, or however you work that out. And if it's somebody who doesn't care, then you need to ask a bunch of other questions about, right. about probably what's, what's going on in that relationship because there's nothing wrong with having boundaries. We all have to have boundaries. Just because you're a happy person doesn't mean you're a doormat. 
Um, you have to, like you said, advocate for your happiness, but sometimes you have to start by owning what it is, uh, owning what, what that is. And if we're in relationships with people, we're going to all have to make, you know, compromises to what that is. But one of the compromises can't be you getting lack of sleep. I mean, unless you want to write, you know, a, a novel about something that's, you know, scary, you might not want to be dreaming about that. You know, if you if you have a regular day job or, or, or whatever, you probably, that's probably not what you want to sleep with. with. Now, some people, I really think they can watch that and it has no impact on them. I know my first horror movie I went to in high school, I mean, I left because I was, I, I knew I was going to have bad dreams. I just got up and my friends were looking at me. I'm like, I'll just be out there waiting for y'all. I'm like, I can't watch this. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> and, and that's probably when I was like 15. I'm like, I, because I know my mom wasn't at the theater, so I had to have gone with somebody. Um, I was, you know, a little bit older, and I was like, no, because this gives me bad dreams, and I'm not I'm not doing it. Like I said, I want to go to sleep to Hallmark or something funny or Friends or something that's, that's uh, because there's studies that show even if you've seen an episode of something before, you've seen a movie before, there's comfort in knowing the ending. And that's usually what I'm looking for before I go to sleep. And I want the ending to, to make me smile and be sweet dreams and, you know, all happy. But somebody else might not. And that's, you know, again, happiness is personal. I love that. And so, Pamela, how can people find out more about your book, which is coming out a few weeks after the new year, right? It's coming out soon. Yes, it comes out January 4th. And they can just go to our website, uh, SOHP.com, and there's, Actually, if they pre-order it, there's some pre-order gifts, including your happiness planner. We have a happiness planner that'll help you plan your happiness through throughout the uh, upcoming year. But you can can use it. Uh, you can use the same month over and over. Uh, so there's some pre-order gifts. There's going to be we're going to do a, a some kind of event that'll be on Zoom in January. So we you know we have a couple of little fun fun things for anybody who wants to pre-order it but it's yeah it's called the practical happiness because I think happiness has to be realistic and that's that includes balancing your happiness you know managing your happiness zappers but it also includes being really aware of what happiness is and where you are and knowing what to look for like I said happiness is bigger than you think and I think sometimes if we really sit down and think about all the emotions we can experience that just make us feel better. And that's really what happiness is. Happiness is when we feel good. I think that we would realize we're probably happier more often than we think. And, and, and sometimes if you're say going through a tough time, all happiness is, is maybe that next minute you felt a little better than you did the minute before. It doesn't have to be this, place where you're like, yeah, I'm not having fun. Maybe you just saw something that amused you. I say I'm easily amused, so I can usually go watch a, an animal video, a cat video, or go take a walk, and I'll see something that makes me grin. And maybe I'm not, like, my happiest, but I'm still grinning. I felt a little better maybe than I did just the few moments before, and that, and that can be happiness. Well, Pamela, I want to take this opportunity to share something with the listeners that they've been hinting to that, but this is going to kind of be a big announcement, which is that part of my self-evaluation of what's bringing me happiness has been this podcast. And, you know, three years, 150 plus episodes in, I have been having conversations like these with some incredible people around the nation. And it's really been a spectacular journey. 
I've learned more about myself and more about the world than I ever could have imagined. Um, but this is going to actually be one of the last few episodes of the BU Find Happy podcast. So it's so special that um, we're having this conversation like very intrinsically about happiness because I am starting a new podcast venture, which I'm super excited about and I think is really going to dive into some of the um, self-reflection that I've done and a little bit of the insights and um, things that I've kind of come to terms with as far as my own journey um, of what is my purpose on this planet? And uh, I'm really excited that uh, that I'm ha- that I have this opportunity. I'm really hopeful that a lot of the listeners of this podcast, which is, I mean, just really phenomenal. Uh, 36 countries, I think, tune into this podcast. Thousands of listeners every week, um, tens of thousands of listeners every week. I'm so grateful to everyone. And um, I'm launching a new podcast. It's called But Why, and it's diving into some of the narratives and stories that we think we thought we knew asking questions that challenge uh, people to look at life a little bit differently. And I'm just kind of taking this whole concept of happiness to a slightly deeper level. So I'm really excited about it. And Pamela, you're one of the last guests of the BU find happy podcast. So cool to have a happiness advocate, expert, et cetera, uh, share the end of the journey. Well, how exciting. It sounds like you're again, kind of following those practical happiness principles of, Happiness changes as you change, and you're instead of instead of resisting those changes, you're you're following that path. It's totally true, and I'm I, I, I mean I'm terrified. There's part of me that's like, right, I've got this incredible listener base that I've built, and and so many people that um, have been along for this journey, and so to kind of like uh, close up and and do it in a way that I feel um, honors everybody has been a big part of kind of my struggle. So it's exciting, and it's also bittersweet. Well, of course. And, and I think anytime we have those big changes, again, part of, part of honoring that is to, is to honor those, those things you just, you just, you know, mentioned. It's, it's going through that. There's, there's always a grieving process, even when we're going to something we want to go to. Sometimes there, there's still that piece that goes with that. And there's again, nothing wrong with that. We've, we've, we've sort of, in my opinion, moved from this place where, where we think we live in these constant states and, and we don't, we, our emotional life is just very, very fluid. And it's, like I said, we can be excited about something and, and super, but we can also be scared. It's like, we can be both at the same time. Like, yay, this is exciting, but, oh, I'm a little nervous or, or there's that bittersweet, uh, at one point, we actually had bittersweet as one of our 31 types of happiness. Uh, sometimes happiness is bittersweet. And so it's, it's, um, so I'm super excited for you and uh, <laughs> be on your guest list if, if we ever fit a topic for you. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I love, I, I just love what you said. Um, the idea that, uh, you're still grieving something, even if you're excited about something new, right? Like that's just so true. And that kind of ties back into the very first thing we talked about. Like you're still grieving the loss of your single life, even though you're super excited about being a new mom, you know, and yeah. I, I love that. And I think it's important for people to that with them on their journey. Like I, I once saw a meme that said something like, you can be happy for someone else and still bummed out about your circumstances. <laughs> right? well, like I can be super happy for you and also think this sucks. <laughs> we, we used to call that bar. We had borrowed happiness as a type of happiness 
um, one time on our list and, and it's kind of borrowed. You, you can kind of borrow somebody's happiness and like I said, be happy for them. But you can also recognize like, hey, I'm not where I want to be because that's going to give you the motivation to maybe get where you want to be. It's, you know, happiness can't be competitive because let's say you and I are, are sitting on the beach looking at the exact same cloud and we may agree that it's both it's peaceful and it's beautiful and it's majestic, but the experience is still unique to each of us. Even when we have the same experience, nobody is getting to have a happier I saw the cloud experience. It's an experience that's unique to each of us. And that's why happiness really isn't competitive. Even if we, like I said, share an experience uh, of getting the exact same things, it's it's that's that's really why jealousy sort of doesn't work because even if you had the exact same experience as someone else your feelings towards it are going to be different you're not wrong <clears throat> i love that i love that we can look at the same cloud and have two totally different experiences um thank you so much for coming on this podcast and really being a part of the wrapping up process and um, the honoring of kind of what began as the BU Find Happy Journey. So thank you so much. And listeners, as always, you can get in contact with Pamela by checking out the show notes. Um, Pamela, thank you so much for coming on the BU Find Happy podcast. Thank you for having me and congratulations on your new venture. Thank you so much. Take care. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.